Today on the show, I'm happy to have Rodney Sappington. He's recently transitioned out of his role as CEO of Epic, and now he's jumping into a new climate venture. And we were just talking about moving from sustainability to survivability. So what is that all about? Yeah, so thank you, Chad. I'm really excited to be talking to you and your audience. Yeah, I'll give you a little background in terms of material science and materials and, and AI, which I, I tend to be very much involved in both is that I, when I say sustainability has moved to survivability, I think everyone has had that experience to some degree over the last year, if not longer, in terms of climate shifts. So we've had a tipping point in terms of what we've been uh, striving to do, both as countries, as individuals, as a global movement that has not moved fast enough. One of the key areas of climate, I'll say climate mitigation, climate risk reduction, is really in the, the areas of materials, the kinds of materials we use, how we use them, how they become reusable as opposed to just going back into the air as CO2. The, when, we think of, when we think of climate, and actually when we think of aerospace, when we think of things that fly up and come back and don't burn up, when we think of targeted therapies, these are all material science problems. And so I'm very much involved in some of those solutions, but certainly in moving materials forward from an AI standpoint. And as I've moved through my career, I've I would say I've moved from looking at harms and trying to mitigate those harms to predicting them and then running forward to try to do the best thing I can as a scientist and technologist to mitigate those harms before they touch our lives. Uh, in this case, I'm a little late in terms of climate because it's touching all of us very directly and it's going to continue to do so. So I've raced forward from working in uh, boron nitrate nanotubes, which I'll give you some uh, details on that, and the production and acceleration of that development in nano nanosciences and nanomaterials, but also moving forward into climate-based materials and organics. Yeah, so I think we need to think about materials differently. They're not just the chair you sit on or the tire you drive on or even the battery in your car. They're all those things. But now we have new approaches to synthesizing those, those structures very early and be able to under, understand early as well as produce the kinds of structures that can give you higher thermal capabilities, which I was mentioning about aerospace satellites, aerospace and space tourism. Those are not going away anytime soon. We're going to see an acceleration in terms of things going to space, coming back and actually space habitation and also other extraplanetary habitation. So We've already arrived there and we're going to be moving forward. So the kinds of materials that are flexible, that, are, that breathe, that self-heal are really important for our own survivability, not only on the planet, but extraplanetary. On our planet, it's super important for people to, to, to really understand that when you, think of, when you think of materials, you're not just thinking of what you might wear, but you're, although that's true too, there's nano coatings and fiber that are really important to reduce and, and I'll say parlay radiation in space, but also that become more flexible, more breathable, lighter. And you see the light weighting of automobiles. This is mostly due uh, to carbon fiber, but also in nanotechnologies that are, are melded into those kind of composites that go into cars. So those cars are lighter, which means less fuels, less energy consumption regardless if it's petroleum or battery usage. So the idea of the very foundation of our lives as being material is really important. And by the way, 
that has taken me a long time to get there. I've been involved in artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning for over two decades. And as I've moved through that process, which I came out of medical diagnostics and medical decision-making software, and really looking at the kinds of decisions that we do to help people's lives, help build therapeutic uh, efficacy in cancer, in a number of different areas. Uh, I started to see that we we're starting to move and have moved the bar in terms of early detection of cancer, but we haven't really moved the bar in terms of material science. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of people that might disagree with me, but it takes materials sometimes 10 to 20 years to develop, to get from R&D all the way into product. And we don't have time for that. We really don't have time for that anymore. Much of the research exists to take nanomaterials, that's graphene, carbon nanotubes, or nitrate nanotubes, nanoparticles, which have been really very fundamental to the revolution and targeted therapies, move those forward so they actually become usable and a part of our lives. I'll go, but I'll, I'll take a little step back if uh, hopefully your audience will give me a little indulgence here. So I, I think just really from a very early age, I was always interested, if not fearful, of seeing harm early and being able to predict it, whether it was for my family, whether it was in my imagination. Could I actually come up with some approach, whether scientifically or artistically, to predict harm before it touches people's lives, before it touches my life? But I was always thinking more widely. And so you can see AI and medical diagnostics, that from a professional standpoint makes a lot of sense. I did uh, my uh, early research at Johns Hopkins, my PhD was there. So I had a good group of scientists, computer scientists, social scientists, even anthropologists that really understood this idea of not just predicting, but also um, trying to slow down, if not stop harm uh, from populations and individuals. Uh, we, we don't stop it. Obviously, we try to climate and particularly um, monitor and then make recommendations. But I think monitoring recommendations is a, a great step forward. But now we need interventions. And material is that bridge and AI accelerates that material bridge to interventions into the very, I'll say fabric in a sense, in a broader sense of our material world. And I want to be really at that place. That's why in this transition that you mentioned between producing and synthesizing and accelerating a nanotube development, I've been moving into looking at what are the material, essential material development points that we can use to, to build a better planetary world and also ensure our own survivability. So that's, I went a little bit into childhood about predicting harm, but also I wanted to, your audience to really feel that this is not a part-time job or a job for me. This is a mission. So is this the big movement to climate? Why you feel now is the time that you really need to come in? I don't know if I felt that way. I don't know if, if, if I see that or it saw me. Uh, it, it was, if you know what I mean, it, I think if I had a, go, a, a way forward to think about it uh, in retrospect, I would say probably three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. But again, a lot of material science and a lot of AI hadn't matured to give us that kind of compute power and the kinds of predictive capacities, even as in more recent developments, such as generative AI, to be able to not just create new materials, or I should create and optimize existing materials, but to actually find new materials that have properties that we're looking for. And that is where we're at. It's, it's not just saying, 
oh, I would like something not to burn up as fast, or I would like some fluid, thermal fluids for your large data centers to be much more efficient. Therefore, our carbon footprint for those large models would be so much less if you could cool those data centers down. So that's a need. So we're at a point where we can take a need and break it down into criteria and then go after the compounds that would that meet that need. We weren't really at that point before. So it really is an important point because we have the tools and technologies. I would say we have the pathways. We don't have all the approaches yet to be able to find those materials that can meet our needs as we've arrived at this certain climate moment and planetary moment. So I hope that makes sense. It does. And on so finding these proper materials, is this something that it just takes us really focusing on it or are we going to have to develop some serious mechanisms around this? So it, it's a couple of things. One is if you think about the periodic table, it, much of the elements are the elements. All right. So we're working at working with known, I'll say known factors. But the, the bigger point is that to really find those unique combinations could be in the billions and trillions. And I think the models, the, the kinds of simulations that are involved are changing to be much more accommodating of those millions and billions of experiments. Because one of the, one of the key things is design of experiments is just one area is that our models are able to, the models I've worked on are able to rank experiments across millions of different experiments very quickly. Now you can imagine with all that data and all of that experimentation, how much manual work that would be. So we're able to rank and, and understand experimental efficacy pretty good across compounds, across different material combinations to get to that sort of optimal material that you're looking for. I'm not saying it's going to be the perfect material, but we're much closer at getting to that accuracy level that we need. And that we couldn't really do five years ago, four years ago. So it, it is a really good time to be in this space, to have the kind of enthusiasm and passion. And I think it's a great place for younger scientists. You have a science background and you ended up being CEO of multiple companies and, and you're in the entrepreneurship path and that's not typical. So what is it that kind of did it for you that moved you along that, that path? Okay. So Chad, I'm going to really throw some curveballs at you and your audience because my path is a lot more different than even that. I, I would just say my initial background was in the arts very early on. So I learned how to think synthetically and holistically. And that wasn't just because of the arts. It was also my particular kind of training. So looking across opposites, uh, looking in that regard, but also, of course, going into the sciences and, and moving forward from there. I just want to say, I don't want to leave that creative aspect because it really does fuel a lot of what I do. Uh, and it's under the hood. So I would give my advice for, for entrepreneurs is that whatever your background is, embrace it. Don't think that you need to be, whether Stanford, MIT engineer to get, be successful. Don't think that your history background doesn't serve you. Don't think that the job you had for two years in the Peace Corps doesn't serve you. All of that is information to make you a better scientist. I think that's super important. The number, the second important piece is that just know you're going to fail and kind of embrace failure as I, I know this is, it sounds like a bumper sticker, but startups are. And getting into the entrepreneurial spirit, there's a lot online you're going to hear. It takes grit. It takes determination. Passion is your friend or whatever the, the latest bu bumper sticker. Just throw all that stuff out the door. Do the best you can to find a starting point. But the most important thing I think is 
finding people, uh, bringing people around you that you can trust and work with and that you respect and respect you. Because most likely one out of five, I'll say not just startups, but startup ideas. You may not even go all the way into corporate formation, but you're going to have a startup idea that you might spend a year or two on, or you might spend a month on, whatever the period. And it's near and dear to you the first day or two or the first month, but suddenly it falls apart. It's going to happen. And I would just say that is a step forward, not a step back. Don't think that is failure per se. Think of that as progress towards learning and towards incorporating. A different kind of background is to your advantage. And then the third thing I would say is that you're going to be an entrepreneur anyway. So if you're a scientist moving out in the world, most likely you've done a great research project and you have already created some ideas. Just know that the idea of uh, forming a company is as, uh, I'll say, as methodical and as deep as the science that you did, the science you're committed to, the domain of experience that you've developed over years. Take heart and bring the right kinds of people around you, and you'll learn that, you'll learn that whole aspect as well. Now, I do know there's some PhD programs that are starting uh, that take a scientist into the entrepreneur. So it's like an MBA, PhD, so that people don't spend 10, 15, 20 years learning to be an entrepreneur uh, once they've already done all their scientific work. So I think it's super integrated, super uh, beneficial to for people to think of themselves as not just coming up with fundamental science, which is super important, but taking fundamental science into our lives is really should be your, that should be the thing that gets you up in the morning. You're going to do it anyway. Well said. What would be the best way for people to learn more about your new venture or get in touch? Just get, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. You'll find me, Rodney, Dr. Rodney Sappington. You'll find details of my background there. You'll learn a lot as well as my postings. I have a, a podcast that I've started recently called the Atomic Podcast, which I talk about quantum. I talk about AI, I talk about a number of things. So I think the Atomic Podcast and LinkedIn right now, until I come out of stealth, you'll have as much as you need to read. I don't want to give you too much more reading. You have your own thing to do, but you can reach me there. Thank you, Rodney, for coming on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to leave a five-star review. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time.